Today I want to talk about the key to happiness. You say, well, pastor, that's not really biblical. We're not supposed to be happy. Uh, we are supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be the happiest people in the world. It's how we go about the key to happiness. You know, for the world, happiness, and I'm talking about unbelievers, for unbelievers it may be that they throw everything they have into their careers in order to be happy. Sometimes it's acquiring a lot of stuff, and they think that at the end of the day that's going to make them happy. Sometimes they look for happiness in relationships. That is, they're not happy until they find this one perfect guy or this one perfect girl, and they would get married and they would, they would be happy. But that's not really where happiness is found. It doesn't mean you can't find happiness in those things. But if that is the end of the happiness goal, then you're bound to be disappointed. Because everything that we do in this life will eventually cause some types of problems. And that's what Paul was dealing with here today. He was dealing with the situation, by the way, Philippians is part of the, past, the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, and we know from Philemon, the runaway slave, he ran away from his owner Philemon, he went to Rome, he found the apostle Paul who was in prison, and Paul sent him back to Philemon. So those, this is part of the prison epistle. So when you think about Philippians, think about Paul being in prison. But something else to think about in Philippians is the idea of rejoicing or joy, or happiness. The Apostle Paul uses it a lot in the little uh, epistle of Philippians. So today I want to look at, uh, particularly, in verse 4, just kind of give a kind of a context. And in Philippians 4, 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul's in prison. He is rejoicing. I think of Paul and Silas in the midnight hour. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication, let your thanksgiving request be known to God. So Paul says, I want you to not be anxious. I don't want you to get worried about things. And he's getting ready to give us the prescription for that. But he says, in everything, make your request known to God and the peace of God. Listen to this. And this is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So um, the lead up to this is the idea of rejoicing, to be happy. In spite of circumstances, in spite of situations, we are to have joy. Now, how we go about getting that joy and how we go about being happy is given to us by the Apostle Paul here in these next few verses, 18 to 13. And the first thing we got to do to find joy is to think about godly things. Look at verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is uh, just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
it's almost as if the Apostle Paul is getting our minds to look upward. And I think it was three or four weeks ago, I preached on circumstantial happiness. The way to, to, the way to find joy in your life is to think about things from God's perspective, is to have a God perspective. Now, you'll notice here, before we get into this laundry list of eight qualities that we're to develop, I think there's, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase here that's very important. Think about these things. Logizomai. Now, that word may not mean much to you, but to me it means a lot. It refers to making a deposit. For those of you that are watching by Facebook, I've got a picture of a person uh, depositing money into a bank. So logizomai, to think about these things, is to make a deposit. It's something that we that we have within us. It is something uh, that should be within us, a, a deposit of something that we can draw from as we go about our Christian walk. Now, he goes on to mention here eight qualities. And these eight qualities are something that we're to develop or that we're to deposit in our lives and in our hearts. The first of these is the, is the word Alethes, which is the word truth or truthfulness or dependable. So the first, thing I, I, the first thing that we're to do in our Christian walk is to make sure that we are living truth or that we are dependable. One of the greatest dangers facing the church is lack of dependability. And the Apostle Paul says, in order to get to happiness, in order to rejoice in all circumstances and all things, we must develop this truth within us, a, a, a sense of dependability. And you think about over the long term, if people can look at you and see that you are dependable, that has a lot of value to it. Secondly, is the word honorable, semnos. Samnos, honorable or worthy of respect. So see, Paul wants us here, I want you to see what's happening. Get our eyes off the worldly things and focus on godly things. And one of those things is to do things worthy of respect. When you say that you're a Christian in this world, people are going to look at you. You need to exemplify the Christian life. That way they can go, you know what, that's, I, I, re, I respect that. And you, you also, as a believer, as you're living your Christian life, are an example to the world. If they see us constantly depressed or angry or uh, sad, that's not a very good light to shine. You think about Paul, he's in prison here. So that's the first one is truth. The second one is that which is worthy of respect or honorable. And then there's just. Dikaios. Dikaios is the Greek word for just. And that word means doing what is right. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. It is never wrong to do something right. You always do the right thing all the time. That's, that's what this word just means. It means that that we do things according to the way God has called us to do. You see, if you're living right with God, just think about it. 
those are the happy moments in your in your life. No matter what goes on or in or on or around you, you can be happy because you're you're doing what God calls you to do. The fourth word is the word pure. Hag hagnos, hagnos. And that means holy in relationship to God or holy in relation to God. You ever been in your Christian walk when you're not really walking with God and you're kind of migrating left or right of God? You ever notice that your life's not as happy as when your relationship is pure with him? And then the Apostle Paul here, I don't know why he stuck this in the middle, but it, it, it just is. But uh, it's one of the centerpieces of enjoying the Christian life is to be in a proper relationship with God. Uh, we were talking about various singers the other day when we were driving around, Audrey and I were talking about various sing singers who had, uh, Christian singers who had messed up in their Christian walk. And uh, it, it gives me pause at times. But to realize that when you are in a right relationship with, with God, things just seem better, don't they? And thankfully, one of the Christian singers actually gave back an award because he had messed up uh, in, a, in a bad way in, in his relationship. But to think about holiness and to think about purity in our Christian walk is very, very important. The fifth word is lovely. Prosipes. Prosipes. And that word lovely means attractive, not in the sense of external beauty. The Apostle Paul is talking about inward beauty. You think about things that would be attractive, things that would draw people to you, uh, good qualities, uh, a, a loving personality. Nobody likes somebody that is always backbiting, cutting people down, angry. That is not lovely in God's eyes. We're to develop this, this attractive personality. Now, this is... This is dependent, of course, upon the help of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't leave that equation out of this. But to do things that are attractive. I remember the movie Forrest Gump. Many of you remember that movie. Forrest Gump said at one point in the movie, Mama said, you're beautiful if you do what you say. That is what real beauty is. It's doing what you say. And then there's the word commendable, of good reputation, commendable, euphemos, to, to try to seek to develop a good reputation. Again, you'll notice that these are godly qualities in which we are looking up. We're no longer looking here. We're looking up. And we're developing, we're depositing these characteristics, these qualities into our lives. If that is coming into our lives and we're trying to reflect that, we don't have time to look at circumstances and situations like the Apostle Paul. The, uh, the Apostle Paul was in prison and yet he's saying this, he's, he's exhibiting all of these characteristics by writing them down, commendable, of a good, rep, a good reputation. By, by the way, money can't buy a good reputation. 
no matter how hard you try. And then there's the word excellence. Arete, arete. The word means virtuous and particularly, uh, re particularly refers to morality. I don't know where the church is today. I'm talking not just this church, but churches worldwide. Uh, it seems like we have lost our moral compass. That we're accepting things that really should not be accepted in the church. We're not focusing on excellence. Virtuous. Morally good. Morally pure. And of course that goes back to the pure in our relationship to God. Hagnos. Uh, this is vitally, vitally important. And then lastly here, Paul mentions worthy of praise. Epinos. By the way, two of these are the nos. Um, one is most, so you can see that he's moving these down in some type of, of alliteration. Worthy of praise, something that is deserving of praise. If you want to develop, do things that are worthy of praise, where God would be happy with you. Now, let me, let me preface this by saying that when you're in Christ, you're under the grace of Christ at all times. But just as we want to please our earthly fathers, we should want to please our heavenly father. We should want to do things that will, he can look at us and go, that's my son, that's my daughter, because they're doing these things. These are things that we should be working on. In fact, I often say this, take a three by five card, write four on one side, flip it over four on the other, work on one. It would take you eight days to work and develop these in, into your lives. Um, so those, those are the qualities. And now he gets to the practice. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So it would be logic to us that when the Apostle Paul says these eight qualities, and then says, what you have seen, what you have heard, what you have learned from me, practice these things. That the Apostle Paul himself was practicing these things. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, who is in prison, he's still rejoicing. How is he able to do that? Because he shifts his focus. We said that a couple of three weeks ago about shifting our focus. I think it's good to get back to in times when we're shut down, it's still shut down. Uh, I don't know what time in the future we're going to be back to normal, but I think we're way, way off from it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I've got a picture um, for those that are watching by Facebook and by our website uh, of a man cutting the grass and his little son is behind him with a little push mower following him. Years ago when I was just learning the craft of, of preaching, we used to have a, uh, this was back in Bible college days, uh, we used to have a, well, they, I don't know why we met at our house, but we did. Uh, we had five or six guys that were studying to become preachers too. And classes didn't start till one o'clock on Monday because some pre people preached at churches on Sunday and they wanted to give them time. So we didn't start classes till one. I remember Bruce Tucker, there were some others that were there. And we would watch various preachers. I don't know what time we started, nine. 
we'd probably watch three or four preachers would preach sermons. And we would look at how they preached. We would study that. Sometimes we would critique it and say, that's a, that's a good way of drawing this in. And, and so at a, at a early on in my ministry, I observed preachers. I studied them. And then I tried to emulate some of those qualities that I thought were important in preaching. I'm really indebted to John MacArthur. He, I think he's still one of the best preachers in America today. But you, you take some of those qualities and put them in. And uh, so I'm actually the product today of what I tried to mimic early on as a young pastor. And Paul's saying, look, you see my life. You see my life. I want you to mimic the way that I live. That's huge. Could you say that today to, let's say, a young believer? Could you say, I want you to look at my life, and I want you to mimic what you see in me, what I've taught, what I've said. That's a scary proposition, right? To have somebody, to tell somebody, I want you to look at my life, and then I want you to model the way that I live. And that's something that we can all work on. And then he goes, he says this, And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. So he's given us this laundry list of eight qualities. He wants us to deposit it into our lives. To make a deposit so that we can withdraw on that as, as we live our Christian lives. And the God of peace, I love this word. I, I absolutely love this word. Arene. Peace. Arene. It means tranquility. You want to calm the storms in your life? And you want to you get to a place of tranquility? Practice the eight disciplines. Look at godly Christians that you respect and model that. The Apostle Paul says several times, follow me as I follow Christ. Richard Melnick in his commentary says this, God's peace especially resides in those who have been, who have ordered their lives in accordance with God's will. You want to know God's will? These eight characteristics are part of God's will. He's absolutely correct. This includes proper and disciplined thoughts and good Christian living. Now, he'll go on to say, thus the two sets of instructions of, on peace complement each other. One is a peace that God gives you, and another is a peace that is a result of something that you and I have done in our lives. That's how we gain peace, to know that our relationship is right with, with God. Back in the day, and this is, you know, it seems like years ago now, we used to have revivals. They used to have tents, and people would come to the revivals, and most of the revivals were uh, evangelical, I, I understand that, but a lot of it was also getting draw, coming back home and getting the relationship right with God. There's something about being right with God in our relationship that fosters peace in our hearts. Arene, God's peace, 
a peace that surpasses all understanding. You've got this storm going on, but I've got a Rene. There's this going on. I got a Rene. Why? Because I'm living for God and I'm doing the things that God wants me to do. I'm, I'm living the Christian life. And uh, Richard Mellick is correct. This includes proper and disciplined thoughts and good Christian living. Not to keep our salvation, but to show the world that we're followers of Jesus Christ. Secondly, and don't worry, the last two are shorter. The first one had a big head, and then you got a little body. Uh, do good deeds. Now notice what Paul 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And that word received means blooming. So they had given a gift, but now there's a, there, there had been a time lapse between the gifts. So Paul's saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, re you have revived your concern for me. Listen, there are times in your Christian life when you can't do a good deed because the opportunity or the circumstances is not favorable. But when we see a need, it's always better to meet that need if you have the ability to meet it. It's like God gives us, it's like God gives us these needs that come into our lives and maybe this is not the best time. Maybe I can't financially meet the need. Maybe I can't physically meet the need. Whatever it is, you may not be able to. But at some point down the road, some need will surface again and you go, okay, I can meet that need. I'm going to meet it. This is exactly what Paul was saying. Okay, I had to wait a while, but you've revived. You've, you've sent a gift. I, I totally appreciate it. And Paul, uh, Paul was very grateful. And by um, remembering what uh, Luke said in, in, in the book of Acts, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's found in Acts 20.35. I don't know about you, but every Christmas, as I've, I was younger, I used to like to get, right? Used to love it. Wake up, wonder what I've got under the tree for me. You know, as I've gotten older, I actually enjoy giving rather than getting. I just like seeing joy on people's faces and uh, when they're opening their presents. That should be the essence of the Christian life that we give rather than receive. And even though we may be on the receiving end, I've... I don't know about you, but I've been on the receiving end of God's grace many times. Uh, people in the churches have given me money and, and gifts, and that's very humbling. But I, I tell you, I tell you, it's, it's better to give than to receive, and the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that here. And then he talks about opportunities. <clears throat> you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, again, uh, the issue here, sometimes we want to give, can't. But we think about it. And we want to give people things to make them and to meet those needs. 
we have several needs in our church that are going to be uh, met coming up and uh, very grateful for that. We've had a good, a good response to meals uh, for one of the people in our church and we are grateful for that. Lastly, to be content. Th- this, this is really where Paul's driving at. So we've looked about thinking about godly things and doing good deeds as we have the opportunity. But lastly, Paul says to be content. To be content in life in 11 through 13. Notice what Paul writes. His independence here. This is independent of any that's going on around him not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content to find contentment Max Anders in his commentary writes this it's a term apparently taken over from the stoic philosophers describing an of freedom and discipline, the ability to conquer circumstances and situations rather than being controlled or conquered by them. Such an attitude is the exact opposite of worry and anxiety. You notice the, the Apostle Paul here is in prison, and he's writing this. The word content, case, it means pertaining to being happy or satisfied with what one has. The way to get contentment is just be happy with what you have. We become very unhappy and not content when we're constantly searching for the next big thing that takes our focus off the godly virtues and puts them on chasing what I call rabbits that we get to a place in our lives when we are content with what we have and to be okay with that and it doesn't mean that we can never try to advance our lives by going to school or whatever But at the end of the day, and the dust settles, God's in control of your life. What you have has been given to him by God. And therefore, to to say that that's not enough is the, the epitome of trying to take control of your own life. We need to be content with what we have. And I think if we'd get content with what we have... If I, can, if I can do with a little, God may put you over a lot. But we got to get back to a place where we just go, you know what, I'm, I'm happy. I've got a house, I've got car, I've got food, I've got shelter, I've got all of these things. I'm just going to be content with what I have. And the Apostle Paul says here, not that I am speaking of being in need. Think about where he's writing this. He's writing this from a cell. I don't know, recently I... I posted this on my personal Facebook page. The Food That Built America. Great series, by the way. I would encourage you to watch it. I don't usually encourage watching, uh, but I love history. 
And it showed all of these different people and how these McDonald's and Mars Bar and Hershey. And by the way, Hershey was a pretty good guy. I think he really cared for his workers. He, he built the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania to basically for his workers. He was concerned about them, gave a lot of money away. But you know what I found in a lot of these people was greed. They wanted more. How much more, how, if, you make, if you make a billion dollars, how much more do you need? On a smaller scale, how much more do you need in your life to be happy? And by the way, the, the grass always looks greener on the other side. Be content, people, with what you have. Be happy with what you have. God has given it to you. Rejoice. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need. I learned the secret in whatever circumstance just to be content. Then he talks about his dependence. Watch this. I know how to be brought low. Paul was low right now. I know what that's like. You all know what that's like. I remember when Audrey and I were first married, we were low. <laughs> Money was tight. You, you all been there. Those that are watching by Facebook, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. There's, there's times in your lives when money was tight, things were hard, you've been brought low. Could have even been that you lost a job and you were humbled to have to go to the unemployment line to, to get unemployment. I remember when I was in Bible college, I left being a sergeant where I was making pretty good money to going to Bible college making $150 a week preaching. Something else that humbled me even further was that I actually had to go down and apply for food stamps. And we received food stamps for, I think, the last year that I was there. And you know what I did when I left and I got off food stamps? I still have it. I have a $1 food stamp. I call that my benchmark moment. That's a reminder of where I was. And even in that food stamp, I was praising God because I had enough food stamps to buy in place of making the $150 a week preaching. I've always kept that to remind me of where I came from. And there are a lot of people in our culture today, uh, I know that there's generational food stamps, I get that. Some people that have lost everything and they need it. So don't look down on those people. Because by the grace of God, you are where you are. And I am where I am. There's people that worked hard that lost their jobs that they need, they need government assistance. And they may not live there, but they, but they need it. You know, I, I, I say this when I was in the... When I was in the doctor program at Lincoln, Dr. Sackett, had taught that morning about giving. And 
he released us and I remember I needed to stop at the store on, on the way home. Uh, I don't know what it was, I buying bacon or milk or something. Audrey had texted me. And um, there was a young mother. There was a young mother in line. She had three kids. And when it got to the part of paying for it, I just remember looking at that little boy's face. And the mother said, I'm sorry, that's too much. I have to start subtracting. So took away the little boy's lucky charms and I watched him look at it. And I stopped and I said, ma'am, whatever she's lacking, I'll, I'll pay for it. You should have seen that little boy's face. It lit up. I, I say that not to brag on myself. I don't want that. When I looked at that situation, I was reminded of that $1 bill. That $1 food stamp. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And then, of course, what Dr. Sackett had taught us about giving. The need was right in front of me. I'm content with what I've got. But when I saw that little place, it broke my heart. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's word here for secret means to learn the secret of something through personal experience. Yeah. There were times in Paul's life when things were good, he was happy. There were times in Paul's life when things were bad, he was happy. The secret is being content with what you have in life and living for Christ. That's what makes us happy. That's what brings joy. That's what brings fulfillment. That's what brings everything together and we can just say you know what no matter what the circumstance no matter what the situation it doesn't matter because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it does not matter what is going on in your life if you are practicing the eight qualities and you are loving people and you are giving and you are forgiving and you're doing everything that you're called to do as a born-again believer no matter what happens to you, you will be joyful. That's the key. The key is to know that no matter what's happening in your life, Christ gives you the strength to endure it when you need it at the proper time and in the proper place and the proper circumstance. Brothers and sisters, that's the key to happiness. Happiness is not found in big homes. Happiness not found in fancy cars or maybe temporal but not eternal we need to this is this is we don't chase stuff like
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a new car. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that that's not what brings us happiness. What brings us happiness is living for Christ. Practicing these, again with Richard Melnick, a Christian's victory comes from a mindful dependence on the Lord. That's the key. And his power. And that is easier understood when things get hard. One mark, this is, this is true, one mark of maturity in Christ is that the mature know how to depend on the Lord in every situation of life. I've got a picture here of a, a rock. And on the rock it reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 That means that God gives us, Christ gives us the ability to endure whatever circumstance we're in. Whatever situation we're in. And I realized this morning that this is difficult to do. So I'm not saying you should be experts. This is a lifelong pursuit. But that we work on those things and that we try to work those out in our own lives. So think about godly things. Do good deeds. And learn to be content with what you have. That is the key to joy. That's the key to happiness. So y'all want to try to work on that this week?